This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's time to break the silence and open up the dialogue around the topics of miscarriage and baby loss. No more shame. No more taboo. Let's ditch it for the sake of our children. The ones who are, the ones who will come. And in memory of the ones who never came to be. This is the Worst Girl Gang Ever podcast. Hello, welcome to this episode of the Worst Girl Gang Ever. We are joined by Kirsten from across the pond in Wisconsin at 6am. Thank you so much. Yeah, well done. (laughs) Thank you so much. (laughs) Drinking a coffee, waking up, and uh, we're very pleased to have you on the the show, I was going to say, on the podcast. I'm so excited. Well, why don't you start us off as, uh, telling us a little bit about yourself and how you ended up as part of this gang? Okay, so um, by nature, I'm a hairdresser. Um, I ended up becoming a writer after going through a miscarriage. Um, I um, met my husband when I was young, and then we got married when I was 22. Um, had a pregnancy right away um, when we started trying and then I miscarried at almost seven weeks. Um, later on, we went on to have a little over a year of infertility, and then I got pregnant with my daughter, and then after had a son. So it's very quick. <laughs> but um, we went through miscarriage and infertility. Wow. I'm sorry you went through that. Thank you. <laughs> it was rough, yeah. So what did your, so you had, how, how long infertility, just over a year? I had 13 months, yeah. 13 months. And what did you do during that time? So in that time, I found out um, about five months after my miscarriage that I have PCOS. So just like an infertility diagnosis then, right? Um, but then just a lot of blood work to try to make me um, ovulate and get a period. I wasn't getting either. And so I had to go on medication to get... Um, ovulation going and then if I didn't ovulate then I usually had to go on medication to get a period um and then just a million bazillion blood tests to find out if progesterone spiked or didn't spike or whatever to try to determine what was going on with my body and then um the last like month that they were going to kind of have us be at that clinic um they ended up doing like an ultrasound and found out that my follicles had enlarged enough to kind of have a healthy ovulation so that's when I got pregnant with my daughter Okay. And like, go, go. Yeah. <laughs> it's time. It was go time. Yep. Apart <laughs> from the um, sort of irregular or non-existent periods, did you have any other symptoms of PCOS? Was it kind of an obvious diagnosis or? I felt like it was in hindsight. Yeah. Um, I always battled with acne and I had really wonky, like 
I'd get periods, but they were always unpredictable for when. Um, and I don't know, mood, mood's probably like, you know, a good factor for that. Um, I, you know, it was crazy because when we were trying to get pregnant with my first pregnancy, it was, it was, everything was like clockwork. I was getting periods. I was obviously ovulating. Um, and then it was like after the fact that almost like my body went back to what it was like when I was first getting periods when I was growing up, you know, like it was so weird. It was like, it just almost like, it's like my body didn't finish when it had started. So then it was all out of sorts. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I had, I feel like a bunch of the symptoms in, in hindsight after being diagnosed. Well, hindsight is a wonderful thing. Hindsight. <laughs> yeah. not, it's funny you should say that because I remember when I was young, I had a possible PCOS diagnosis, but they weren't, they weren't sure because I didn't really have enough of the symptoms to be able to diagnose it properly. But I remember them saying to me, your best chance of being able to have a baby is ironically to have a baby because it will reset your system and stuff. And I just remember at the time, being like, what the fuck? Yes. <laughs> Such a ridiculous thing to say by, for medical professionals. It was just, yeah, it was crazy. And it left me feeling so bewildered as to what to do. So did, like, did you experience that kind of what do I do with this? How do I move forward with this? Yeah, it felt, I mean, when I, when I was diagnosed, they took the ultrasound from after the miscarriage and kind of looked at that. So I was like, didn't you look like, I don't know, five months earlier, <laughs> you just kind of felt like you were like stuck a little, like you didn't know what was going on, why you weren't getting pregnant again. Um, and then I had like the cysts and stuff, obviously, but um, I have always been like that with my body. Doesn't every female, like to some extent go, what is my body doing? You know, for your whole life, you're kind of like, I don't know, but, um, yeah, I definitely battled afterwards with knowing that my body wasn't doing what was quote unquote normal. Yeah. And did they give you, as well as the medication that you're on, did they give you any kind of dietary advice or uh, complementary therapies? Cause I know that acupuncture for me was very successful, but that wasn't a route that, that you were sort of introduced to. No, they tested like, I didn't have the, um, like you can get like diabetes stuff with, with PCOS. I didn't have that. So I don't, I don't remember it being like a strict diet or anything. Um, I did have fertility specialists that gave like, you know, handouts that were like, what can increase your chances? What can decrease your chances of having healthy ovulation or pregnancy? Um, but other than that, I kind of, besides going in so regularly for blood work, I kind of felt like, oh, okay, what do I do here? Or what is my body going to do, you know, now to cooperate? Um, but no, I didn't have therapy or any of that stuff either. Mm. Tell us about your, um, your, your miscarriage. So you said it was seven weeks, you're seven weeks in, what happened? How did you find out that you'd lost the baby? Um, so we were, it was over like 4th of July week. So we had gone, um, we both have family cottages, my husband and I. So we had gone to um, his family's cottage first and then my cottage, but we had that whole week off in between. And from leaving his parents' cottage and kind of heading over to mine, it was like midweek. And I remember just kind of having a little bit of cramping, um, but it felt more like digestion cramping kind of, right? And I was kind of like, oh, and I remember my mom... I kind of had like extended myself on the couch up there. And I remember her just kind of like rubbing my belly a little bit because everyone knew I was pregnant at that point. And, and I remember she was kind of, she kind of got that worried look on her face, but also was trying to kind of be like, Oh, it's probably just gas. You know, I don't know. Mm. Um, and then 
it was just very on and off, very light cramping. I don't even know if I'd call it cramping at that point. And then um, we had gone home. We had walked through a house that we had put an offer in on, um, on like a Friday. We had, we'd gone home to be able to tour the house and then um, put an offer in. And then the next morning I had started spotting. And then it was kind of like relatively light spotting, some cramping, but not bad. Um, but we had been intimate the night before. So I just kind of assumed it was maybe that, you know, when your body's kind of full of hormones, there's a lot of things going on. Um, and they ended up having me go into the ER. Well, even at the ER, when they did a bunch of blood work and kind of, did, I think they did a pelvic exam. They still were like, we don't think you're having a miscarriage. Um, if for some reason everything picks up and you start clotting or bleeding more, then obviously either come back or, you know, depending on how everything goes. Um, and then that night I started having just a ton of like cramping more, more so than just what they called. Like if it's just period cramping, when you have PCOS, I don't know how, if you have it or not, but like sometimes cramping can be awful, you know? So I'm like, Oh, it's not as bad as my worst period. (laughs) You're trying to talk yourself into it, not being a bad thing. Um, and then, all like throughout the night I was in like fetal position with the pain and like, which now after having, um, live births were contraction pains, you know, like where you didn't maybe necessarily know what was going on. Um, and then I miscarried the next morning mm-hmm. in the toilet. <laughs> oh, Kirsten, did you have to go back to the hospital at all? Um, they had me at the ER call like that Saturday to make an appointment for Monday to get in with my, my regular OB. Um, so I didn't have to go back during the weekend. I mean, maybe, you know, like where you're like, maybe you should have sometimes like, I don't know. Um, but I didn't go back until like Monday. I think it was like 10 in the morning. Like Monday is when they had me come back in for an office visit. And I want to say they re they did, they redid my blood work. And then I had to wait till like three o'clock in the afternoon for the blood work to confirm that my numbers dropped from when I was in the ER. But you know, when I had gotten the blood work back from the ER, it was like, I don't, I think it was in like the three hundreds or four hundreds for my HCG. Well, it's supposed to like double or triple every other day, you know, like where you're like, okay, it seems like if I'm seven weeks, almost pregnant, that it should be a little higher by now. You know, like where you're just kind of trying to do the math even. And, um, yeah. So yeah, numbers on their own aren't very helpful, are they? So no. they double every <laughs> no. 48 hours. So unless you've got a few sets of blood, you can't really see if or how it's progressing. Yeah. But did you following your miscarriage, how did you how did you feel after that? Did you want to talk about it straight away or did you want to just close yourself away from the world? Or how did you kind of start your recovery process? So, so we got the accepted offer in the house was like the one, the one main thing. And that Monday we had, so we found out, um, Saturday in the ER that we got the accepted offer. Well, then Monday when my family was all together, cause everyone was kind of gone to cottages and stuff for 4th of July that Monday, um, we decided to like celebrate the house with my family. So we were all having, you know, I, I wasn't having a cocktail under the carport. Cause I'm like, I don't know if I can yet, you know? Um, but everyone was kind of together to celebrate the house. And I had said, like, we are not talking about if this is a miscarriage. I don't want to talk about that. I want to, I want to focus my attention on this house. Um, and so 
I think it put my family in a weird position because I was kind of like, nope, we're not talking about this. And then I did get the phone call that I was, that I did have a miscarriage or was having a miscarriage. Um, and then it was kind of like, I mean, my family saw me cry a lot, but I was very closed off. Like my mom tried to kind of like check on me and I kind of pushed her away. And, you know, it was a lot of that. Um, I really didn't let my guard down except for my husband to kind of get into my mind. Um, and for everybody else, I feel like I just kind of, if I did talk about it, it maybe felt like it was too much for people, <laughs> like a little too much sadness. And then if I didn't talk about it, then I think they thought I was just fine, but I wasn't fine. You know, yeah. um, my recovery happened a couple of months later, actually it was like October. I think I finally posted something on Facebook where I was like, okay, this is what we went through. Um, and after that, I felt like because I kind of opened the floodgates a little bit, um, because I'm a hairdresser, I was in a salon setting. So I had a lot of people that were like, either not knowing that I was going through a miscarriage or had just had a miscarriage. And then elderly clients, maybe that would be like, you're not getting any younger. You know, we had kids when we were 19, you know, and I'm going, ah, that's great for you. You suck. <laughs> um, yeah. So it was always like back and forth. Like I felt like I'd be doing okay. And then something would trigger it or, you know, we had all these other things in our life that were still happening that we had to kind of show up for, um, that my grief kind of had to take a sidebar and then, um, and then going, finding out like I had infertility and stuff like Christmas time that year was the worst, like that I had just like a bout of depression that I couldn't shake and holiday stuff and finding out people were pregnant or sitting behind people that had kids or going to stores, you know, like it was a lot of triggers. Um, and then I ended up, uh, yeah. It's really, really hard when you're, when you're living in this world of trying for a baby or losing a baby, it's yeah. just so focused around children. And then yeah. like you say the pregnancy announcements I don't think I've ever remembered a Christmas day where there hasn't been some someone announcing their pregnancy on Facebook. But then yeah. you've got that coupled with the fact that when you were pregnant, you were imagining what Christmas was going to be like for you. Oh, I won't be drinking at Christmas. Or Bex, yeah. you, you had your you had a plan in your head of how, how Christmas was gonna look and the family were gonna come to you. You weren't yeah, gonna like all that political shit was gonna be done because my baby was due just for Christmas and it was like such a relief and then when when I lost the baby I didn't think about that straight away but then a couple of months down the line I was like fucking hell like it just it just hits you like that's another thing that I now have to deal with because I've lost the baby and it's yeah I think Christmas is a really horrible one because it's one of those ones where you when you it's one of those ones where everything that you're not allowed during pregnancy comes in one big package, right? You're not allowed to drink. You're not allowed to eat soft cheese. You're not allowed to eat Remy, you know, all these things. But because you're pregnant and this is the overall like joy of pregnancy, you're happy to give it up. But it's almost like when you experience that loss, these things sort of come in to mock you and they take on, or certainly this is how I felt, like they take I on a sort of sinister feeling of like, oh, great, I can drown myself in wine, but, you know, I don't want to, or I can eat all the, I can like gorge myself on cheese because I'm not pregnant now. And it, all these things that you were expecting to really miss because you are able to have them take on this kind of really sinister feel of just, I don't want to be able to have this. I don't want this. 
I think they wanted to see you. They wanted to see you. <laughs> it's like someone's going, ha ha. Yeah. Yeah, no, you can <laughs> have it. Christmas is that it's the end of the year as well. So you're coming to the end of the year when you were going to be having a baby or, you know, going into the next year when you were due or I think everyone always reflects on their, their own lives at the end of the year, don't they? They look back and they think, what have I achieved this year? What are my plans for next year? So the warriorship, we wanted to come and tell you a little bit about it, didn't we, Bex? And in case you're already going, why? We don't want to know about a fucking ship. The Warriorship is our online membership for warriors in this community. It's packed full of stuff. So we just want to tell you about some of the stuff. All of the content from all of the courses that we ever run is in the Warriorship. So there's loads to get your teeth into. And we are also developing modules for what happens after. But not only that, we've also got a ton of educational workshops running once a month in the coming months we have got body positivity workshop gratitude workshop and loads 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 more and on top of that we also have a resident mental health specialist and on top of that if if that wasn't enough there's 13 events every month and there's stuff popping up all the time as well that other people are organizing that you can be a part of so it really is thriving and all you have to do is head to the link in our bio or visit our website and you can be a part of this too we love to see you there you know having lost a baby and then going into the new year with this infertility diagnosis no wonder you were in a dark place Mm. so um you know selfishly when you're going through that you're like okay woe is me right like this is what's going on everything's going wrong um, I had my brother and his wife were pregnant at the same time. So they were a couple months ahead yeah. of me. Why does that always happen? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And they, you know what? It's magical. If they ever listen to my podcast episodes, you're like, it's, I love them. I love their child. You know, like it is wonderful. Um, but for the love, like when you are going through that and, you know, she was so kind to me. She would, she would let me, she was private. You know, she would let me like, touch her belly if I asked or like she was so sweet about it she never pushed it I could tell that maybe she didn't wear as form-fitting outfits not I don't she never came out and said that to me but you could almost just tell she was so sensitive about it right like knowing that hers went on and mine didn't um but their their child was due at Christmas time so it was like you know where you're kind of watching you're watching your own family just indulge in another pregnancy and you're kind of going you know I was that sort of, everyone was excited for that. And now everyone's kind of redirected attention to that, which is what it should be, right? They should have that happy, that shouldn't be taken from them just because it was taken from me to be able to have that experience. But, you know, you're kind of in the pity party trenches. (laughs) I think it's really hard as well because, and I think this makes how we feel about ourselves even worse is because, you know, in your rational head, in your rational mind, and actually, you know, as a loving sister or, or, friend you you know that they're so entitled to that joy and so entitled to that excitement and but you can't feel it like you can't feel it to the degree that you would feel it if you hadn't experienced your loss but because you can't feel it or you don't want to feel it or you want everyone else to to be more inclusive in their sympathies you sort of internalize that as well and then you sort of take on all of the the resentment and the grief and the anger and the jealousy and the and you just push it down 
because you don't want to be seen as the person who can't handle other people being happy. And yeah. I think that is like the most toxic, painful place to be in because you've just got all this negative emotion and feeling that you've bottled because you're so worried about people seeing the quote unquote real you, you know, seeing that that's, that's the, the, the darkness that your soul is offering right at that, at, in that moment. And you don't like, why would anyone want people to think that of them? Why would any, so we just conceal it with like Laura, you, the jazz hands, right. jazz hands approach. And I am so excited for you. I'm so happy for you. And underneath we're just, I mean, it's no wonder that so many women experiencing <clears throat> recurrent loss, for example, go through PTSD because not only do they have that, reality that is their life going over and over again i'm not pregnant i'm not having a baby i've lost another baby but they're having to suppress all this really painful negative emotion towards other people for fear of judgment so i mean it's not it's no wonder that the the mental health of women going through loss and infertility is so can be so destructive can be so destroyed and can be so fragile it's just and this is what we need to be doing is to be bolstering these people when they need us the most, normalizing the, the topic of conversation in order for them not to feel so paralyzed by their own kind of self-hatred. I, I even tell people like when, because now like after the fact, now I'm years past what I went through with everything. And I even tell people like, if you, if they're going through it too, I'm like, if you have to cry in front of a coworker that you don't know that well, that's okay. Like mm. if I would have just cried in front of my father-in-law say, right? Like, maybe he would have seen the pain I was carrying, right? Like, but you just keep it in. And then, then what happens is it bubbles out on accident when you're like yeah. at something and maybe had a, had something to drink or, you know, where you're just like, Ooh, and then all of a sudden you're just like a sob fest or something. And then you feel like you don't have control over yourself and you beat yourself up over that later. You know, it's like this spiral. You just keep hiding it, thinking that you're doing a good job. And then, I don't want to say it comes out at inappropriate times because there really shouldn't be an inappropriate time for grief, in my opinion. Um, but yeah, it kind of bubbles out of you. Then you don't really have control over it. Maybe you could have just let a couple of tears out once in a while and it would have been okay. <laughs> yeah. Totally like agree. you watched me, Kirsten. You must have been watching me for a couple of years because you just explained. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. Whenever I had a Prosecco, I'd be all like, hey, you know, fun times. And then a couple of hours later, <laughs> it's time to go home. <laughs> Yeah, I think that that is the hardest part. And and as you say, Kirsten, it's like if you'd have cried in front of your father-in-law, maybe he'd have known the pain that you were carrying. And I think that's the most difficult thing for other people, other people that are not aware of the pain of loss. They only see what we show them. Mm-hmm. They only see what's on our outside. So if, it's not his fault. It's not no. his fault he didn't understand the pain that you were in because you didn't show him. And right. We, I think it's so often that we within this community feel like people should know, feel like people should know the pain, but they don't. And they never will unless they go through it emotionally. They will never know the pain. But if we can help them by kindly showing them and telling them about the pain of this loss, because it is a unique pain. It's not a grief. It's not a grief that you can understand because it's a grief for a life that was never lived. It's, you know, it's so different from from grieving for, for an old person. There's no photos, there's no memories, there's no, there's nothing tangible that other people can understand. And we, as a society, I believe that we have a really, really hard time in believing things that we can't see. And this is like, it's, it, this is exactly what that is. It's, it's the belief in something that 
the majority of people can't see. And I think that's why we as mums have it have such a hard time because when something grows within us, when something's in our body, we, we have it, you know, we hold that, we we feel it and stuff and we feel it in our hormones, we feel it in our boobs and we feel it in our, <laughs> and we feel it in our, in our tummies and, and, and that's just gone. And that's such a big grief to have that closeness completely destroyed. And I think that's certainly how that was the, the, the really deep level of my grief is having something, God, it's making me a bit emotional, is having so, so completely ours taken away. Mm. You can and see why people don't yeah. talk about it as much. People, why people don't cry in front of their father-in-law and aren't as open about how they're feeling because it's just through fear of being shut down and being invalidated, isn't it? We get people all the time saying, you know, who knows what your father-in-law would have said to you that day? You know, would he have given you a cuddle and understood better what you were going through or would he have said you know well you know you're still young at least you know you can get pregnant and I think that's why that's why we're not as open because we're just worried that what we've been through and how significant this feels to us is going to be minimized and invalidated by other people I am well obviously it's it's so vulnerable to just like when you do show that side right it's so vulnerable and you're putting your whole heart out there and then to have that fear that someone feels uncomfortable around that, you know, whether or not that's a normal human reaction, but to feel like, okay, I'm too much right now for this person. Like I'm, you know, I just rained on their whole happy day that they had, you know, like to feel that way too, right. You start to like question, you know, the value of your voice of pain compared yeah. to their value of happiness at the time. You know, when it's a bit like, you know, when people, um, don't want to share like for example if someone is is about to have a baby and they don't want to share the names they've chosen because they they think other people's opinion will sway their decision or they don't want to hear that kind of negative opinion I think it's a bit like that with your grief because you don't I know you said Laura like you're so frightened that someone's going to minimize it but I don't even notice it's that it's 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 something that you in a way you hold so dear and so precious mm-hmm. but anyone else is kind of judgment or opinion on what you've been through is so unwelcome and so painful to contemplate that you'd rather because I don't know about you but I minimize my own grief to make it more palatable to other people like if I talk to someone now and I tell them about the girl gang and they ask me about my loss it's only really recently that I've said I've just been just this, this these are the details without any spin on it that I've only been brave enough to say that because I used to say, oh, it was, it was, it was an early loss. It was, you know, before mm-hmm. 12 weeks or whatever, because I don't want them to do that for me. I'm like, if I can take control over that, I've still got my story and how it feels to me, but without their like, oh, at least it was early. Oh, oh, that's all right. You know, this whole opinion of, oh, that's all right then. Oh, oh, well, that's lucky. Oh, at least it was early. Oh, I thought you meant, you know, oh, I thought yeah. you meant you lost a real oh, one. That's do you how- know how- it's what they you feel like they're saying at least you didn't lose a real baby that's how it feels when people say that I've had that I've had that many times for like because we decided to name our baby and we don't know what it was I mean it was early enough we never like had it tested or anything we didn't do any of that so but where we decided that it was a boy um but then to have people if I talk about you know if they say how many kids do you have if I ever say we lost a son and you know we have a daughter and a son now 
And then they'll say, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, they think they got hit by like a car, <laughs> which isn't funny. Yeah. Actually, like, but like <laughs> you know, and then you're like, well, no, like I lost a pregnancy. And they're like, oh, how far along were you? And then you're like, you know, now it's like digging. Now you're like, well, I was seven weeks pregnant. And then they're going, oh, did you, you knew it was a boy? You know, they kind of like start doing that. And sometimes I wonder, um, or what I found, I guess, even just through my profession of talking to people, I feel like they're trying to re- assure themselves if they also went through loss, like if they didn't choose to do that with their child, like, Oh, they don't really know. They just kind of like, it's like a foof, like oh, they just made it up They're You know, I, I'm like, okay, if I'm ever wrong, that's fine. I'll, you know, reconcile it then. But like for now, that's how I feel comfortable or when mm-hmm. I think of our baby, whatever. Um, but even that, like people, as soon as they find out that it was like an early loss, right. That it's like, Oh, I thought you lost like a baby or I thought, you know, they kind of like say it that way. And you're kind of going, well, you are kind of insensitive. Yeah, you know? I think it's 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 you you almost jump it. I always almost jumped in to to save them any kind of. Oh, I don't know. Don't want know what it is. You you sort of jump in because you don't want them to feel sorry for you because you minimise your own loss because for for decades and decades societally that's what we were suggested to do. Like it, the ba- your baby didn't exist until it was born. If it died before it was born, it didn't exist. Therefore, there's nothing to grieve. You have your grief is disproportionate to your loss because your baby didn't exist in this world as a living baby would do. So you've, I think it's because we've all so firmly grown up with that narrative, with that being the way that society works. We often feel like we're going against that. What what is real? So we kind of change it to make people understand it because we know people won't understand it as we understand it in our hearts because that's not the way we've always done it. So as soon as we can get people talking about their losses, no matter the gestation or even better, not asking how many weeks along we were, like, fuck it, that matter? Why do you need to know? If we can change the way that people ask questions and instead of like, yeah, instead of me saying, oh, I lost a baby, instead of the first question going, oh, how far along were you? People say, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. That's awful. That must have been a really difficult thing to go through. Like, how much better is that support? You can hear the difference yeah. in support. It's like a nosy fucking, oh, <laughs> how much grief do I give you right now? How much grief do you deserve? Oh, okay. It was before 12 weeks. Okay, not much. You don't get much of my time right now. Yeah. Uh, what I mean, it's like people are trying to measure the level of support they offer on the the week's gestation that you were and it's fucking outrageously ridiculous you are wonderful can you come <laughs> up to wisconsin and just talk around here all the time <laughs> sure, I, is it, is it well, do you know what i met i went to new york in the summer and i met this amazing <laughs> woman in the airport on my way home and i was like i go into like proper english english when i'm out and about <laughs> in that kind of place and i said excuse me, I'm I'm not really sure where the departures are. Would you mind just pointing me in the right direction? She was like, oh my God, can you talk to me all the time? I just love it. And I was like, oh, she has. So like, can you read my audio book to me? <laughs> I love it. But yeah, sure, I'll move out there instantly. Wisconsin, is it cold? Uh, yeah. Yeah, no. It was hot. All, it was like 85. We had family pictures on Sunday and it was hot, like hotter than hot. We're all trying to wear like fall sweaters. I'm like, what is happening? And now it's like 50 degrees. I'm, I, You know, in England, that does that mean fuck all to us? <laughs> <laughs> no idea what you're on about. 
<laughs> we work in Celsius. Three <laughs> sounds hot. Yeah, well, 100, isn't that one? Kettle boils. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh, she's available for passionate rants anytime. Anytime. I love them. <laughs> it's true, though. I mean, on a serious note, it's true, though, isn't it? The way we support each other is completely out of sync. And we shouldn't be support. We shouldn't be using our own personal judgment in order to to offer out support. It should be, it should just be support. It should all look the same because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you've gone through. You've gone through it. That's part of your life story. You haven't gone in through anything worse. You know, you can't you can't compare these things because you'll always see it differently to someone else. Even someone who's experienced the exact same loss will see it differently from you. You see it. So we yes. just need. We just need to tell people that we care and that we love them and that we're here for them. And that's basically the building blocks of, of support, right? Yeah. Yes. And if they want to tell us more and they want to go more into their story and tell us how many weeks it is and things like that, then that should be up to them, shouldn't it? Yeah, for yeah. sure. <laughs> well, Kirsten, tell us how you came to writing your books then. Was this part of your recovery process? Oh. Heck yeah. Um, so I, I actually, after having my son, so my, my two living children are 18 months apart in age. So it was kind of like miscarriage took forever to get pregnant in my, you know, my head took forever to get pregnant and then, um, had her found out shortly after we were pregnant with him, had him, it was like, I almost didn't. And I did not, um, recover from the loss before having her. I think I thought another baby was going to fix me. Like, I think that was in my head. Like when I just get pregnant again, I'll be fixed. All rights, all wrongs will be right. And everything will be fine. Um, but then it was almost like, you know, I definitely had postpartum depression after my miscarriage, which I didn't realize was a thing until recently, but I definitely had that during that. And then I had it, um, as postpartum anxiety after my daughter. And then I had it as postpartum depression after my son. And so it kind of was one of those things where it creeped up. Uh, usually they were two to three months old. It was probably right around the time I was getting close to going back to work or I was on my own if my husband went back to work. Um, and then I just had hit kind of a lull. Like I was struggling with um, finding out a way to parent the way that I wanted to parent um, versus maybe some of the influence from when I was growing up, right? Just different anxiety things and depression things that I kind of had battled over the course of my life. And I ended up actually having to go to counseling, which I say having to go to counseling because that is the way that I looked at it when I first did it. I felt like I couldn't handle my life anymore. And so I was being punished by going to therapy. And that is exactly how it felt pitched to me. <laughs> my husband was like, you need to go do this. Like you have a lot going on. And my family, I don't, it sounds cold to say they seemed disappointed in me, but it seemed like they felt I couldn't pick up myself enough to carry on without counseling that I kind of had to do it. You know, like it, it felt, it felt like that. Okay. After I did it, it was glorious. Um, I've never felt better <laughs> um, after talking to somebody and kind of digging deeper into my entire life, not even just going through the miscarriage. So I think a lot of times it's like a threshold you hit, right? Like you you think that's the main issue, but maybe there's some other things for why you can't find a way to live with what you went through. Um, there's a lot of things going on. And so after that, um, I stopped doing counseling. I did it for a couple months and I stopped doing it like in June. Um, 
And then all of a sudden, like, and I think I finally could relax. I started writing. I started writing my first book, which was rearranged. And that one is like poetry. And so um, I would have days where a dozen poems would come out of me. And then I'd have a day where one poem came out of me, but it was like parenting, um, struggling with having to be all or nothing and having to be that way in parenting, you know, and, and finding a way to kind of find peace with myself that I could, I could choose how I was going to be, you know, in terms of my grief, in terms of healing, in terms of, um, just bettering myself in general um, with my emotions and the way that I could carry myself and talk to other people about it or, you know, love myself, give myself grace. Um, so I just wrote and wrote and wrote. And then I had this like piece of <laughs> in my head, like artwork, you know, where I'm like, Oh, this is like my life story of going through loss and then finding hope and healing after. And then I dug a little deeper and I, I wrote the parts that like, are sticky, you know, the, the actual loss, like that, that, um, event, I guess I could call it, um, what my mind went through while I was going through the loss of the giant clot that came out of me, you know, like, um, and then I wrote having sex with my husband for the first time after when we could find out we could try to get pregnant again, you know, the thought of like losing a life again, if that happened to me again, you know, the risk, is it worth trying to have another child and possibly losing that child, you know, all of these things. And I remember like sitting next to my husband on the couch and like, I just wrote the most sad, the saddest poem I think I've ever read, but it's beautiful. And it made me um, accept what I went through as it's not a gift to go through. God, that is the worst thing, but like it's part of me and it gave me an opportunity you know, I'm extremely an open book. So I, I've been very introverted and private my whole life. And then I went to hair school and for the love of God, you cannot be private in hair school. You have to like wax places that didn't know it always existed. You're like, Oh my God. Um, a, hang on. Wait one moment. There's a place called hair school. That's the place hair school. Hair, well, I, it's probably cosmetology school, but yeah, we call it hair school in Wisconsin. <laughs> that is absolutely incredible. It's like high school, but for hair. Hair, hair school, you know, the beauty school dropout from Greece. So like, um, just like you can't, you can't be private in hair school. You can try, you can't, you cannot. So <laughs> I started becoming more extroverted or I'd have someone in my chair that would have something going on in their life, right? You just, you like dig into people's lives sometimes. And so when I went through this and then I found out, you know, I've always written, I've always been someone that kind of hobby writes, like in school, I loved writing classes, my dad, my grandpa, everybody kind of wrote my brother, my sister, you know, we all kind of have this like, um, love for writing. And so when I did all of this, I was like, Oh, this is so good. I can like, people can, not everyone's comfortable talking about what they go through, but reading is the privacy of your own home. You can even a podcast, right? You can dive into that. However you want, you can be sad, sobbing, happy, laughing. It doesn't matter. And so I wanted, yeah, I wanted it to be, you feel the deep sadness that came, but you can see hope doesn't really die from that. And if it, if it happens that someone can have their own children, um, if it, if it ends up being adoption or however people go about being able to be a parent, if, the, if, which were parents to the child we lost, right? Like it's, it's so messed up how we talk about it. Um, but anyways, I wanted my book to just capture that and to honor the child that we lost um, and that. And then I wrote a children's book after. Um, 
and I teased that one was like so deep, <laughs> so deep, all the feels, the journey of actual loss and coming out of loss and coexisting with loss. And then my children's book is like happy Mickey. It is so sweet. It's just all like children playing in heaven. And like, um, what I like to think that maybe my child is doing right now, just sliding on a golden playground. I don't know, you know, um, and kind of a way to teach maybe other children about a child that someone lost. So when I was doing both, I realized that the children's book I thought was for other people. And then I watched my two, two living children, like looking at it and suddenly talking about the sibling that they have um, in a concrete way. Like before that, it was always, oh, you know, you have a baby brother that we lost or, um, and I, I don't know if they could comprehend like actually what was going on, but then for them to see like a little cartoon picture of like an angel or something, you know, it was almost like they just, I don't know, it was so sweet. And then I felt myself feel it all over again and just feel grateful, I guess, for the journey even though it sucked ass. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, really, really lovely. So the children, your children, do they, is it a book that they've shown to their friends or they take into school? So they go to public school. I mean, I'm I'm like, I'm 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 caught between being like a Christian author and just being an author. You know, some stuff is, some stuff isn't. So um, the parts where like maybe my faith comes out tends to be obviously like more Christian. Well, then I don't think they can necessarily bring that to school. Now I'm not positive. I never asked, but I feel like you're not supposed to. So I don't even, I don't want, I don't even want them to bring it necessarily, but I've been trying, I do things like at the library once in a while and, um, and things like that. So it, it has a way to kind of circulate a little bit. Um, but otherwise, no, um, my daughter just like in a class, I don't, I don't remember if they were trying to, ask what they were grateful for or something. And she raised her hand and said, I love you, Theo, which was what we named our baby that we lost. And so no one knew what that was really, except probably the teacher or whoever, you know, but you know, it's obviously where it's concrete enough for them that they think about it. You know, they talk about it, which is just very special to me. You know, you'd think it'd be sad to have it be reminded to you, but it, it just shows me that they can love even bigger than what, what they see in front of them, you know? I think in some ways children are actually better than that than than adults. I think oh, yeah. the number of stories that we've heard about people whose children have gone on to ask lots of questions to in order for them to make sense of it. And actually it's the, the step that I was talking about earlier between believing something be, believing something that you can't see seems much easier for children. And if they grow up with that narrative and that that idea and, and that concept of what's happened before then they'll go into adults feeling that. And that's that's what we want to be doing, isn't it? It's giving the children the 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 tools that they need in order to confidently talk about all aspects of their lives. You know, there's no no aspect of, of a child's life that should ever have to be kept a secret or felt shame for. And I think that's so lovely. And it's books like the one that you've written that will help adults facilitate that when it's less sort of confident ground for them. So, yeah, I think that's amazing. What What are your books called? So my first one, that's the poetry collection. That one's rearranged. And then the second one is I love you from heaven. So that's the children's book. The links for them so that we can put put them in the show notes. Oh, thousand percent. Thank you. (laughs) Um, Lovely. So 
I illustrated both of them. Um, the cover of my poetry one is when we were trying to find something to memorialize our baby. Um, I had a butterfly like follow us around in this like outdoor garden place and it landed on like a flower that we were buying. And so I used that picture. I like photoshopped or whatever, like in the picture onto the cover. So that was like one of the cool things when I look at both the books that I could try to bring the memory of our baby into both. Yes. So, yeah, I will link them. And now when you see the cover, you'll know what it is. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining us, Kirsten. It's been really lovely to talk to you and thank you for sharing your experience with us. It's um yeah, it's been it's been a really great a great recording. Recording? Yeah, no, it's been um, really lovely to chat to you. Thanks for being so vulnerable with us. Thank you for having me on and making me cry and foghorn blow my nose if you heard it before. <laughs> <laughs> You one. Thank yeah. you so much. I hope you have a great rest of your day. Yeah, and you. Go and have another Thank coffee. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Take care. Bye.